Good morning. My name is Spencer. I am one of the pastors here. So I don't know if you noticed last week and this week. Bulletins are back, you guys. Yeah, we can't. We stopped those before the pandemic. They're back, so it's an encouragement. If you want to take sermon notes, there's a space in there. If you want prayer, we believe in prayer uh, in our church. And if you want corporate prayer from the rest of your church family, uh, you can uh, reach out to our secretary uh, for that. And uh, it's also got some announcements in the back. So there you go. They're back. All right, we are in a three-week series called I Am a Missionary. This is a three-week opportunity for us to refocus on what it means to be an everyday missionary here in our city. Last week, I started with uh, what is one of the more important steps in mission, and one that is often skipped, including by us, and that is prayer. That if we aren't praying, if we're not getting on our face and pleading for God to save sinners, pleading for God to bring the revival that we want to see in our city, we are missing out on the power of God we're missing it. So if you weren't here last week or you didn't uh, listen to that online, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. If we are missing that aspect of mission, we have skipped a step. So we are in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. We spent a lot of time last week in 2 and 3. Uh, this week will be more in verses 3 and 4. So you can follow along on the screen behind me. You can go to your Bibles on page 573 in your blue Bibles. Uh, but we are going to continue to look at what it looks like to grow as an everyday missionary. In college, when I was first learning about this idea of being a, a sent missionary locally, being an everyday missionary, of uh, learning about evangelism, the idea of sharing the gospel with those who may not believe, who do not believe, uh, I was, it was awkward at times. I was learning how to do it. And there were a lot of awkward interactions that I had in college and learning how to do this and sharing the gospel with others. And I remember one in particular, there was a, a freshman, I was a junior, he was in my, I led an orientation, a freshman orientation group, and he was in it, spent some time with them, and as we're getting to know each other, getting to hear a story, it sounds like he doesn't really want anything to do with Jesus. And then we went to Sonic, and we're talking, I remember, uh, I remember sharing the gospel with him, and he was beat red in his face. Like you just tell with everything in him, he didn't want this message, he didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And I shared with him, and that was uh, the last time we really ever talked in college. Like for the rest of college, he just, every time he saw me, he just would just kind of look away and just wouldn't talk to me. And I was like, oh, well that's awkward. And that happened a little bit. There was, there was moments of rejection where he'd share the, the gospel. Maybe they didn't avoid me for the rest of the college, but they made it abundantly clear, I don't want this for me, quite a bit of that happened, but I do remember one story in particular where there was a, a guy that I was getting to know, we were, uh, you know, I go to his freshman hall and we play hacky sack together, you know, what college kids do. I guess, they, do they still, front row, do they still do that? No? Okay. Back then, when hacky sack was a thing, all right, get to know each other, get to know a story a little bit, and then slowly started to, to bring in the gospel and share it with him. And he was resistant, but listening and continued to, to process. And then he went away for winter break. And when he came back spring semester, he said, I'm in. He said, I, I'm, I've, I've placed my faith in him. I'm a follower now. And he still is to this day. We keep in touch. He lives in Houston, Texas. He's married. He's part of a local church there, still following Jesus. And I love it. And the reality is I would have 30. I will have 100 of those awkward conversations if it means just one of those results 
and that kind of eternal life change. That's the hope. That's what we're going for. As we are, are seeking to grow in being everyday missionaries, we would learn what it looks like to share Christ. And today we're going to look, get a little bit practical as we walk through verses 3 and 4 as we seek to grow in being everyday missionaries. So let me pray, and then we will jump in. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word and what it means to us. God, I pray that you'd help us listen and that we respond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verses 2 through 4, mostly be in verses 3 and 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. All right, so if we want to grow in everyday missionaries, I want us to see three uh, parts of this passage that I think are important. The first is that we would share the gospel no matter your circumstances. Share the gospel no matter your circumstances. He says, on account of which I am in prison. Paul is writing this letter from prison. There are four, they're called prison epistles, four prison letters that while Paul was in prison for sharing the gospel, he wrote, he wrote Colossians, he wrote Ephesians, he wrote Philemon, he wrote Philippians, these letters to these different churches and different people and he's writing this from prison, all right? So he's not in a good state. And even the years leading up to this, it hasn't gone well for him, all right? So he, on one of his missionary journeys, he is praying, and God says, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and there you're going to be arrested. And he says, okay, he's obedient. And then he goes to Jerusalem, he gets arrested. The Jews there uh, that hate Paul try to have him killed. And then he's transferred as a prisoner to Caesarea, which is near the coast. He spends a few years there in prison. And then he appeals to Caesar. He wants to appeal his case to Caesar's and Caesar Roman citizens. So he gets on a ship. He's on his way to Rome. And it shipwrecks. And after he shipwrecks, he ends up on an island. He gets bit by a snake. I mean, it's just not going well. He finally ends up in Rome. And now he's in Rome. And he, uh, as he's writing this letter, is on house arrest. He's on house arrest. There's one prison guard. He has some visitors who come to see him. But he's mostly alone. It has been a rough Three to five years for Paul leading up to writing this letter. Under the threat of death, under the threat of persecution, imprisoned. And I would argue that probably none of us have had that last three to five years. I, I don't know all your stories, but I'd be willing to bet that, that most of you have not been in prison for your faith. You haven't been shipwrecked. You haven't been under the threat of death from religious political forces. That's not something that we have faced. Right? Maybe you felt like the last couple of months, maybe the last year has been really difficult. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, it felt like we were on house arrest. You know, two weeks to slow the spread. And then it kept going. And some of you felt isolated and you felt alone and you were in your home trying to do your best and you were struggling. Maybe the last year has been hard. Maybe the last two years has been hard. Maybe the last 10 years has been difficult. And then we talk about being everyday missionaries, and you're like, I don't even know where to start. My life is a complete mess right now. I don't, even, I don't even know where to begin. But Paul, enduring hardships that are much more than what we've had to face, enduring those hardships, his still 
sharing the gospel. I mean, he's still praying that he might share the gospel, possibly with his prison guard, possibly with people that come and visit. He still wants to declare the mystery of Christ. How does he do it? I mean, how does Paul do it? I mean, he gets stoned in a city, outside the city, then limps back in and starts sharing the gospel. What's his secret? How does he keep going back and again and again sharing the gospel? How does he continue to live on mission? I would argue that the difference between us and Paul is that Paul had such a, an eternal mindset and perspective on his reality. Like he just, he understood everything he was facing in light of eternity. In, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And it's like, really? When you hear that, if you're honest, you say light momentary affliction. Have you, do you remember the last few years as you've been writing these letters? You've been getting stoned and beaten, whipped. How, how do you consider this as light and momentary? I mean, I'm in the middle of a bathroom remodel that has just been difficult. And it does not feel light and momentary. And I, I, mean, I, just, I mean, that's what we do. We think about what's right in front of us, what we're facing, what's difficult. And we don't look at it in light of eternity, but he did. What he understood so clearly is that the moments of suffering, really this life as a whole, he's, he understood it as, we, as the Bible teaches it, that it, this life is like a vapor, the Bible says. It is like dew on the grass. It is here and then it is gone. That this life is like a drop of water. The, all the years of your life is like a drop of water. And the rest of time, eternity, is all of the oceans and all of the waters in them. I mean, he had that perspective. That right now, it's just light and momentary. Because what's coming in eternity are the eternal riches and glory, the weight of glory that awaits him. He understood that right now, though suffering is hard. It pales in comparison to what awaits us. And he understood all of it in light of that truth. So that in the midst of hardships, he's oh, absolutely, I want more people to be a part of this. I want more people to taste and see this Jesus for eternity. I want them to experience the weight of glory that awaits us. He, he got this. He so, he, he absolutely understood this. Now, that doesn't mean that our hardships right now don't matter. My hope is, is that you were with us the last month when we did Soul Care as a series. We care very deeply about hardships. We care very deeply about suffering and sin and brokenness. It absolutely matters. You may be struggling financially. You may be struggling spiritually. Your health may be a mess and in, and in decline. Your emotional stability is just all over the place. You may be enduring actually really tough times but but if we can strive to view this like he did to view everything that we face all of the suffering and hardships in light of eternity we can absolutely no matter what your circumstances are we can actually share the gospel we absolutely can share in spite of our circumstances and the second thing i want us to see here is that we must share words we must share actual words. He says, 
At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The gospel is a message. It is a message. You must share actual words. We go after this from time to time. But there's that famous Francis of Assisi quote that says, share the gospel and if necessary, use words which we've said before, it's not clear that he actually ever said that. Also, if he did, it's dumb. That's not, no. No, the gospel is a message. Yes, how you live your life matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. The New Testament is full of that. Like it, How you live your life matters. Uh, first, Peter talks about having good conduct towards outsiders. First Timothy 3 says that one of the requirements of being an elder is that you may be well thought of by outsiders. So yes, the way you, you live your life absolutely matters. But it is still a message. It is not a lifestyle. The gospel is a message. Paul did not ask people to pray for him so that God could open a door so that he could be kind. He did not pray for them, pleading for them to join him in prayer that they'd open a door so that he could be a good neighbor. Though kindness and being a good neighbor absolutely matter. I mean, Jesus goes hard after that. The Bible goes hard after that. But our kindness isn't what saves people. If you believe that your good works, if you believe that your cleaned up personality, the way you display yourself, if you believe that is what actually leads people to Jesus, then by default, you believe that your works is what saves people, that your works is what leads people to Christ. And that is not true. The gospel is a message. And the reason that's really important is because is for a while, like the last few decades, there's been this whole idea of lifestyle evangelism. It's like I'm just going to live my life and win people to the kingdom by my conduct. And it's like there are aspects of that. I want a yes and an amen. But at the end of the day, the gospel is still a message, and you still have to share words. And the problem is that people, people get psyched out by that. Because if you're not, if you believe that fully, and you're not actually living out the gospel like you should, you're like, oh, then I can't, I have to, my witness has to be in such good shape or I can't share the gospel. I'm going to mess it up. And it's like, no. Yes, you snapped at your coworker. Yes, you dropped an F-bomb in the workroom. Okay. But you know you can still share the gospel through that, right? The reality is, is that you can go to your coworker and say, hey, listen, I should not have snapped at you. My faith teaches me that I should be slow to anger, that I should be kind. And I was none of that with you. And I am sorry. Hope you can forgive me. There are ways, but absolutely, in, in, in spite of our conduct, where you can come in and share the gospel. It is a message. It is not just a lifestyle that we win people over. Maybe it's that that you've fallen to. Maybe it's that you just don't care enough to risk awkwardness, to risk rejection. Uh, Romans 10, 13, a passage that if you grew up in the church at all, you are probably familiar with, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We love that. That anyone who has encountered Christ and their heart has been changed, they can call out to God and they're saved. That's absolutely true. But then he goes on to make a little bit of a rhetorical argument in the verses that follows. He says, how then will they call on him in whom 
they have not believed. He's like, how, how are they going to call on Christ if they haven't believed this message in the first place? And he goes, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they going to believe in Jesus if they have not heard the message of the gospel? And then he says, and how are they here without someone preaching? How are they going to hear if someone doesn't share it with them? That's not just preaching like what I'm doing now. That is proclaiming. That is sharing. How are they going to hear the gospel if someone doesn't preach? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He's like, how, how are they going to hear if you don't actually share it with them? We've got to absorb that, Christians. Brothers and sisters, we've got we to absorb that, that you may be the only Christian in somebody's life who can share the gospel with that person. You may be their best chance at actually hearing about how our, our God is better than everything else in this world. And if we can't let that reality impress upon us, we can't let that sit on our hearts in a way that brings about change, then we need to get on our faces and pray. And pray that God might soften our hearts. He might break our hearts. He might help us see everything in light of the eternal reality that's all around us. That we need to go back to step one and pray that God would absolutely break our hearts and motivate us to actually share words. Share actual words. And then lastly says, make it clear. It's the third thing I want us to see today. Make it clear. So we're going to spend the most of our time. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. That putting effort into making it clear matters. So, many of you may not know this, but I have a mild speech impediment. I do, just, a, just a, a mild one. So that when I actually preach on Sunday, I have to really think about how I speak in a way that is clear. But for those of you that know me best, if you've ever been in informal conversation with me, you know that every now and then you're going to go, wait, what? I have an incredible ability to take 20 words and make it 10 syllables. And I don't even know I'm doing it sometimes. And it's really frustrating for me because all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I got to repeat what I'm going to say. Oh, I got to re-clarify. Oh, like I, there's this, I, I have to intentionally think about that type of clarity. Now, that's not, that may be Paul, part of what Paul's saying. But the reality is, is that we should have that type of intentionality in being clear when it comes to the gospel. That we might think about how we present it. We might think about how we share it. That that work matters. It matters that you are clear. So, I'm going to make two assumptions here. If you are going to take this on in trying to be clear. The first is that you believe in Jesus. That you've been saved by him. That you've been set apart by him. That you have the Holy Spirit in you. Assumption one. Assumption two is that you care enough to share. Now that's the second part that we're going to have to work on. We're going to have to pray that God would help us see the reality that's at hand. But once you have those in place, now it is time to work on making it clear. Now it is time for us to grow in gospel clarity. The reality is, is that sometimes is the reason why you don't want to share the gospel. It's because you're like, ah, oh, I think I'm going to mess it up. I think I'm not going to be very clear. I don't, I don't want to botch this. And what's encouraging about this passage is that on some level, Paul felt that too. 
Because he's asking for prayer here. He's asking them to pray that God would open a door so that he can make it clear. So that's, that's good news that Paul, of all people, prayed for this type of clarity. All right, so we should absolutely seek to grow in gospel clarity. I have some practical ways that I want us to do this and how I want us to grow in this. And the first way we can grow in making it clear is to read and know and grow. Read, know, and grow. We have to read, we have to grow, we have to learn about Christ and the Scriptures. We've got to. Got to do it. I know some of you have not read a book. You've not read a book since the ninth grade, and that was To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay? And you're like, I don't like to read. And it's like, okay, but the Bible's a book. And guess what? We've talked about this over and over again. If you don't like visually reading, Download the Bible app and start listening. Listen to the Word. Yes, learning is difficult. It is. Take it from somebody who did the eighth grade twice, okay? It, learning has never come easy for me. I'm, I'm rarely the smartest person in the room, all right? A lot of times because my wife is in the room with me. But I'm rarely the smartest person in the room. I usually am one of the most learned people in the room because I work really hard. To learn. I work really hard to know things. And some of that stuff is useless knowledge. But sometimes it's the Bible. We should seek to learn and know and grow. That's why we emphasize scripture memory. That's why it shows up. And we have one every month. We have 36 verses over three years. Memorize one of those every month. And do that again for three years. And then three years again and three years again. You're going to have 36 verses locked in your memory bank. That matters. It matters that you would know the word so deeply, be so hidden in your heart that when it came time to actually share good news, you could share the word of God. And the reason that matters is because what Hebrews 4.12 teaches us, the word of God is living and active. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing the division of soul and spirit, of bone and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That when you share God's word, God uses it like a sword and it pierces the heart. And it discerns what's going on underneath the surface so that people might can realize they deeply need Christ. It matters that you know God's word. It absolutely matters that you might be able to share this. All it takes is a few words. And then God can go to work. So maybe you have a maybe you've been really intentional about being a good coworker. You've been working hard in the workplace to show good work ethic. You've been uh, you've been caring about your conduct, which you should. You haven't been engaging in office, office gossip. All right, you're 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 not complaining. You're working hard, and then you're building a relationship with your coworkers. You're getting to know them. You're going to some happy hours with them. Spend time with them, and then one day at the office or at the work site, one of your coworkers just says, they just, they, you just see they're down and they're sad. And you say, hey, what's, what's going on? Maybe she says, I, I just, I mean, I just went through a terrible breakup. He broke up with me last night. And this is the, I thought it was the one. We were going to spend the rest of our lives together. We've been dating for a year and a half. This is the third terrible breakup I've had, and I just, I'm just having a real, I'm sorry, like I'm trying to work hard and not be a distraction. I've just had a really difficult day. And in that moment, armed and ready, you can look at her and say, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Can I share something that I think is helpful, that I've, that I've found to be helpful? Psalm 34 teaches that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. 
that in the midst of, of, of hurt, like God can be really near to us. And I, I don't know, I felt like I just want to share that with you, that God can be near to you in the midst of his brokenness. So I'm, I'm going to go back to my desk. I pray for you and the rest of our coworkers regularly. I want to take some time to just pray for you. I pray that you sense that, that God is near the brokenhearted. I pray that your boyfriend gets hit by a car. Like, I just... But you, and then you do the actual Christian thing, not the Southern Christian thing, and you actually pray for them. That's all it takes. And then what can happen is, is that the word is shared, and all of a sudden it starts to work on them and grate on them, and they start to question, and they come back and want to know more later. That, it's that easy, and it's not that intimidating. We need to read, we need to know, we need to grow in knowing God and his word in prayer. Second, we need to grow in gospel fluency. We need to grow in gospel fluency. This is something we talk about quite a bit in our church. It's the idea that you be so fluent in the gospel, just like you might be fluent in a language. You don't have to think about how you speak. That you be so fluent in the gospel that you'd be able to think in it, process in it, and it would be part of your language, part of your ethos, part of who you are, that when it comes time, you're easily Sharing the gospel, applying it to people's lives, applying it to your own life, applying it to the people in your group. We're talking about growing in gospel fluency. That matters because if your coworker who you just talked to says, okay, wait a second. All right, so that's Psalm 34. That's nice. Tell me why God wants my life to be so miserable. Why is it that I keep having these relationships that fall apart? Why, is my, why am I so unhappy you, if you think God is near the broken heart and he's good and he's loving, why is my life so bad that if you are fluent in the gospel, you can begin to, in that moment, apply the gospel? One of the things we talk about is creation, fall, redemption, restoration, that understanding the gospel and the Bible as a whole is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That maybe in that moment, you just you come alongside and say, listen, the reason why we love relationships, whether it's friendships, whether it's romantic relationships, is because we're built for that. We're built for relationship. God created us. That when he created Adam in the garden, he said that it wasn't good that he was alone. That we're made for relationship. But the reality is, is that when uh, sin came into the world, it broke relationships. It, 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 it made relationships and friendships difficult. Even more so, what it did is that because of sin, we seek to find relationship with everyone else as opposed to God. That, that God actually built us ultimately for relationship with him. But because of sin, we reject that. We don't want him. But the good news of the gospel is that God didn't leave us here in our rejection of him. But that he sent Jesus to die for us. To live the life that we could not live. To die the death on the cross. And to conquer death at the resurrection. So that we could have a relationship that is better than everything else with him. And that this isn't the end of it. The pain of your relationship hurts now, but the reality is that one day he's going to restore all things. In all relationships, there will be no more sin. There will be no more brokenness. There will be no more hurt. That when you're fluent in the gospel like that, you're able to apply something like that, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, to somebody's life in a way that helps them see their problem, their struggle in light of eternity. We need to grow in gospel fluency. But there also may be times where they take it a little, even a little bit deeper. They're like, okay, so, but why would God allow for sin to happen in the first place? Right? Why is suffering even a reality? 
And they might ask some bigger questions. And the third thing in making it clear that we need to grow in is that we need to dig deeper. We need to dig deeper. The reality is, is that people have big questions, and we cannot resolve every mystery of Christ. God is mysterious. But for a lot of people, God is a complete mystery to them, and it is our opportunity to clarify and to give a defense for, this is where we get the word apologetics, which literally just means a defense for, our faith that might compel them to actually explore who God is. Hebrews 5 teaches, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He says, you need milk, not solid food. The writer says, listen, at this point in following Jesus, you should be mature enough that you can teach others, that you can encourage others, that you can disciple others. But it's clear right now, he says, verse 13, he says, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That he says you should be able to to mature past just milk, the elementary doctrines, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, is so good and so true. But the depths of that actual statement, going deeper into that, we, we, some of us are still stuck on wanting milk. We want it spoon-fed. And he's like, at this point, you've got to be eating some steak. Uh, You've you, you got to be able to take on some of these deeper questions. That doesn't mean you have to love theology and go to seminary for apologetics. All right? That doesn't mean that you have to take every conversation and be like, all right, let's talk about the five points of Calvinism. Like, that's not, that's not helpful. But the reality is, is that you should absolutely grow in a way that you might be able to give a defense. And this takes time. This takes years of seeking God and His Word. But we also have resources, right? Like there are things. We're so blessed in this age to have an abundance of resources that help us in this. You could read books like Reason for God by Tim Keller. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. There's your little starter pack right there. Boom. Read those. Slowly take them in and start to digest it. You can take questions that people throw at you. And you can go online to sources like thegospelcoalition.org, or, you know, which is helpful. I mean, you literally could just Google Gospel Coalition, and then you're questioning. You'll find three or four different articles or teachings just like that. You can go to, there's a website called gotquestions.org, which when I first saw it years ago, I was like, ah, uh, maybe. I don't know. And then I spent a lot of time looking at how they answer things. And it's like, wow, that's actually really, they have really good resources. We have an abundance of resources just like that. So that when someone brings a big question like, why does God allow suffering in this life at all? Even if you don't know it in that moment, you can say, I don't know. But I'll get back to you. Which is helpful, because first off, when you say, I don't know, they feel like they won. And everyone likes winning arguments, right? But also, when you say, I get back to you, that continues the conversation, that you can come back and actually continue to win them over to who God is. It matters. And some of us, we, we, you know, we got to dig a little deeper. We got to grow to know a little bit more about who God is so that we might be able to actually share Christ and be able to answer some questions and bring some clarity to those who are struggling to figure this out. So, 
This matters. This matters that we grow in this. And then I'm just going to give us one more aspect that I think is so helpful for us. Is to trust the sovereignty and the power of God. At the end of the day, trust in the sovereignty and the power of God. God, hear this, God ultimately is the one that makes it clear. He's the one. We can't, you can have the most compelling arguments. You, you could share the gospel flawlessly. And then just might go, no, no, I'm good. God is the one that ultimately brings clarity. I feel this, and Chet does too, when we preach every now and then. This may come as a shock to some of you. But every now and then, we preach sermons that lack clarity. And just like, we, we talk about this. Every now and then, we walk off and be like, I don't know what just happened. I just, everything I wanted to say, I didn't say. And then I told a really offensive joke. You know who that is. Uh, <laughs> and I just, I, I, I just blacked out. I have no idea what just happened. And you know what's crazy is every now and then we do that, somebody comes up and says, man, that was so helpful. I really appreciated this, what you just taught. And it's just like, I don't, I don't even know if I said that. But, yeah. <laughs> That's how God works. He's the one that ultimately brings clarity. We should be praying before that God would give us clarity in how we share Christ. We should, I mean, you can learn the art of praying during a conversation silently. We should actively be listening, absolutely. But there are moments where you can just, in the midst when somebody's talking, just say, God, give me the words. It seems like you're opening the door. Give me the words. Help, help make this clear. And then going and praying afterwards that God would bring about clarity, that God would just haunt them with the words of the gospel until they absolutely surrender to him. We absolutely should do this. R.C. Sproul, probably one of the more renowned theologians of the last 50 years, passed away a few years ago. He, when he was, his conversion story is that when he was um, in the 50s, when he was in college, he was a freshman, and he was in his, common, his, his, his uh, dorm common area, and there was a, uh, a junior football player who came and talked to him and said, Hey, you want to come join our Bible study? And, you know, he wasn't raised in a, in a gospel, you know, a home that t- talked about the gospel, wasn't raised in churches that, that preached the gospel. He said, Okay, fine. He's a junior football player. He's a freshman. So he goes and sits at the table, and they're studying Ecclesiastes. And here's the, bur- here's the Bible verse that he heard. That haunted him. It was Ecclesiastes 11.3. It says, If a tree falls, whether it falls to the north or to the south, wherever it falls, there it shall lie. That. That. And he went back to his dorm room. He was like, I'm the tree. And I'm going to fall and be dead in the woods. And, And he surrendered his life to Jesus in his dorm room because someone shared a verse that I'm not even quite sure what it means. And it's like, I mean, if you're going to share the gospel, you don't start in Ecclesiastes. That's not, you know, it's not your top ten here where you start. You go, Gospel of John, Romans, Ephesians. But that's how powerful the Word of God is. And when God is out to save someone, He's going to do it. You share the Word of God, He's going to go to work. Trust the sovereignty of God. You can't save sinners, but He can. Appeal to His power, share His Word, watch Him go to work. Romans 10 says, I'll go back and read a part of it again. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The reality is, is there are people in your friend groups, 
that you work with, you play in soccer leagues with. There are people in your life that will not come on a Sunday no matter how much you invite them. They're just not going to come to hear preaching from you. They might say no. They might say, oh, yeah, maybe one day. And they're like, I'm never going there. They might actually come to your group. We have found that to be a, a, a first invite that works better than coming on a Sunday. They might actually come to your group. But they might not even show up there. But guess who's there to actually be the one that preaches the message? You are. It's you. God has made you to be an everyday missionary that proclaims the glories and the excellencies of Christ, that proclaims the gospel to them. It's you. You're the person that gets to be a part of eternal work. How profound and amazing is that? It's you. And yes, it can be difficult. It absolutely can. I mean, you, it, you can have some awkward conversations. You know what I love about Romans 10, that idea of beautiful feet? The idea is, is it, 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 the picture is, is of a king that sends out someone who delivers a message. That person travels a lot, and at that time they wore sandals. And I've been to Israel. The, the dirt there, the, the sand is very thin. It's cakey, and it gets stuck to your feet very easily. And they would walk through roads that had just manure and filth in them. Their feet were disgusting. And the Bible says, how beautiful are those feet. They preach the good news. How beautiful are those feet that go out of the way to make conversations awkward if that's what God wants? I mean, you might get your feet a little dirty. You might experience some rejection and get your feet a little more dirty. You might be challenged in your faith and your feet get a little more dirty. And the Bible says, oh, that's the kind of feet you want. That's the kind of feet that, that the kingdom needs as people to go out of their way to declare the mystery of Christ because they understand what's at stake, that eternity is on the line, and we get to go out with God and, and see Him to be redeemed. We should want that. Want beautiful feet. Want to grow in this. It's worth it. It is worth it. When I think about Brent Thompson, that freshman that I spent time with in college, that 10,000 years from now, we are going to be standing in the presence of Christ, worshiping him, feeling and experiencing the eternal weight of glory. And I'm like, yes, that is awesome. And there are people in your spheres, people in your life that are going to miss out on that eternal reality. And you get to have beautiful feet and you get to go out and get them. And I want us to own that and be the everyday missionaries that God has called us to be. The band's going to come up and we've got one more week of this, you guys, where we're going to sit in this, this idea. And I want us to, to let the eternal reality of what's at stake sit upon us. I want us to pray. I want us to pray in a way that breaks our heart, that we might see God revive in us a desire to win people to Christ. But it also sends us out and sees people be one for Christ. And it's worth our efforts to grow in this. Guys, you were made for this. If you were in Christ, hear me, hear me. You were made for this. You were made to declare the glory of Christ. And we get to. And that's what's so amazing. As we leave here today, let's leave with that reality that sits upon us. That Jesus came and died for us that we might be one to him and sent out by him. And we get to remember that every time we come to the table to take the Lord's Supper. As we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminded how good the gospel is. Why it's worth having dirty, nasty feet that are beautiful in God's eyes.
And the night he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body that was broken for you. He took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood that was shed for you. That as often as you eat and drink this, you proclaim my death until I return. That when we take the Lord's Supper, we remember how good Jesus is and what he's done for us. But remember that one day he is going to return. And you got neighbors and friends and coworkers and family members and people in your life that we want to sing. They want them to sing joyfully us, with us when he returns. This, wet, this meal is a picture of eternity and what happened at the cross and what that means as we come and take it. Be reminded of that. Yes, we have failed to share the gospel. We've failed to be bold. We've failed in a lot of different ways. But man, isn't God's grace good that covers us. And we remember that as we go to the table. But we also, as we sit down, we process this. Pray. Pray that God would help us be the everyday missionaries he's called us to be. And when you're ready, I want you to stand and sing the praises of Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, God, I pray that, if, that the, for the Christians that are here, that the eternal weight of glory that awaits us would be so pictured in this meal. That as we leave here today, we take this seriously and joyfully that we get to be ones who take part in this. God, I pray there's anyone here that has not actually understood the gospel. God, I pray that you would absolutely help them see this so clearly right now that they would in this moment trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. You're ready? Come and take the Lord's Supper. There's gluten-free in that, gluten communion in that back corner, and there's the Lord's Supper at the front and the back.